You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, without excuse, is part three in the series, Americans, Chapter One, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. Well, what love the Father has for us. Thank you so much, uh, to our choir, all of our instrumentalists today. Wonderful time of worship already. Uh, Now, I want to ask you to find in your Bible Romans chapter 1, the book of Romans, and please find chapter 1. You know, the book of Romans in the Bible is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in the first century uh, to the Christians or the church in Rome, the capital city of the Roman Empire. And when Paul wrote this letter to the church at Rome, he had already taken the gospel from Jerusalem all over the Mediterranean, up uh, into the Adriatic between Greece and Italy. He had even taken the gospel as far as modern-day Croatia, And uh, yet, the whole time, Paul really wanted to get to Rome. He wanted to preach the gospel in Rome, not just because it was a megacity or the megacity of the first century, but also because Rome was a place where so many people would pass through. And so his desire was, I want to go where all those people are. Think of it like this. Uh, it's like Bucky's wanted to come to Sevierville. Not because of necessarily the population here, even though everybody I know has been, uh, but because of all the millions of people who pass by the 407 and come down the parkway, they, they, they wanted to come here because of the potential for so many customers. In much the same way, Paul wanted to go to Rome. Because of the potential of so many people being able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's why that meant so much to Paul. Because he was absolutely convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only answer to humanity's problems. And we believe that today. Now when Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit... To the church at Rome, there were already uh, Christians there. There was a church planted there. Uh, So Paul, when he wrote to them, introduces himself. He shares his credentials. He says how much he wants to go to Rome to preach the gospel. Almost immediately, he turns his attention to just talking about Jesus and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to save everyone who believes. Uh, Again, Paul was just convinced That Jesus is the answer, the only answer for the world. And so uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 18 today uh, where Paul uh, writes out, he, he starts out a very detailed explanation of the gospel of Christ and why it really is the only answer for humanity's problems. And so this applies to everyone everywhere But I find Romans chapter 1 to be so relevant to our current situation in America that we might as well call it Americans chapter 1. And so uh, let's begin reading. I've said it before, 
uh, we're about to dive deep. And so put on your spiritual floaties and let's go. Verse 18. Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And so he just goes there right off the bat in this argument that he's presenting, sort of like an attorney would present an argument before a court. Uh, he, He just dives in and talks about the wrath of God. This is uh, the, the righteous anger and judgment of God poured out on sin. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And, and so uh, Paul is talking about how we end up needing salvation at all. And the reason is because of our sin. All the ways that we've chosen to disobey God uh, to rebel against God's authority. Uh, he, he sums it up with those two terms, ungodliness, unrighteousness, and uh, how in our pride as human beings, we try to make our own way, and that doesn't end well. Doing it our own way, leaving God out, always results in God's judgment against us. At the end of verse 18, he, he says that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's an important phrase, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, suppress there means to to push down or hold something down. And he's talking about, in this case, pushing down, holding down the truth about who God is. So suppression is not like ignorance. Ignorance means you don't have the information to consider. Suppression means the truth is knowable. Uh, You can have it, but you push it down so that you don't have to deal with what that truth means. Uh, The late Tim Keller uh, compares it to a, a beach ball. When you're in the pool, if you have a big beach ball, you try to hold it down under the water. That beach ball uh, is, keeps trying to surface and to come up. And to keep it down, you have, to, you have to keep pushing down on it. That's what he says that we do. Why? Because the truth about God, uh, for many, is too uncomfortable to deal with. It, it would demand too much change to let it surface and acknowledge there is a God who rules over all things. And what what this means is I'm going to have to surrender my life to him. I I, I have to praise him and thank him and worship him. And, And so many people just suppress that truth. And, and in fact, Paul says that's all people. He's talking about all people. It's universal. And you may wonder, but not all people have heard. Not all people have access to the Bible. Surely those people are not held accountable. Certainly they have an excuse for not being a believer. If they don't know. But here's what Paul says in Romans 1. All people really do have that fundamental truth upon which all theology is built and that truth is God is God exists and here's how God makes that truth 
known. Okay? You still with me? Here's how God makes the truth known. Verse 19. Paul said, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. And so he talks about two ways that God has made the truth of himself manifest to all people everywhere. He has made it known to us and also in us. Now, the word he uses there, manifest, it means to make something visible, to make it clearly seen. In fact, the root of that word in the original language means shining. Like when you walk into a dark room, turn on the light switch, and what was not visible before is now brought to light. He says, look, God has made manifest to us and in us the truth that he exists and that he is uh, worthy of our worship. So God has made himself known to everyone, everywhere. And the two ways that God has revealed himself to humanity uh, are explained here in verses 20 through 23. Verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, that is the natural world, uh, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. The first way that God has revealed himself to humanity is he has revealed himself to us in creation. He's revealed himself to us in creation. Verse 20 uh, talks about this. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his, his Godhead has been made known. Uh, Psalm 19, 1 talks about this. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So, creation is speaking. But what is it saying? Uh, what creation is saying to us is it's declaring to us the reality of God, the existence of God, the power of God, and the glory of God. And, and here's how that happens. You know this. Let me just put it into words. When a person steps out and looks at these beautiful smoky mountains, or when they see a sunset, or they look up at the sky on a clear night, there is an awareness that God has placed in us that all of this came from something. It, it is self-evident to humanity when we look at creation that nothing times nobody does not equal everything. 
something is behind this. Something started all that we see. And then uh, think about the order of creation that we see in nature. Uh, When any person in the world observes things like the migration of birds or uh, the the rhythm of the tides of the ocean or the phases of the moon or, or even something like the life cycle of a butterfly, that design that's so evident in creation implies that there is a designer of all this and that designer had a purpose in designing what he made. So this is evident whether you look through a telescope at the movement of the planets or whether you look through a microscope at the process of cell division. Uh, Whether a scientist uh, analyzes the precisely balanced levels of nitrogen, oxygen, argon, carbon dioxide that make up our atmosphere. Perfect for life to flourish. Or they look at the tilt of the earth on its axis. It's exactly 23 and a half degrees. Even a small adjustment one way or the other and life would not be possible as we know it on planet earth. And so the evidence is right before our eyes in creation that the world in which we live is not just the product of random chance. There is purpose there. There is design there. There's order there. And it all points to God. And so God has revealed himself to us in creation. We have to suppress it. Remember the beach ball? We have to suppress that in order to deny his existence. But not only that, God has revealed in us through our conscience that he is there. He has revealed that in us through our conscience. In verse 19, uh, Paul said it's manifest in them. Not just to them by creation, but in us through our conscience. Uh, And let let me say it like this. There are things in our hearts, and this is universal all around the world in every culture. There are things in our hearts that tell us that we are more than just accidental biology. Because we observe there's just something different about us as human beings than any other form of life in the world. For instance, we as human beings long for love and meaning and significance and justice. You don't see that anywhere else in the natural world. And we're capable of things that the animal kingdom is just not capable of, like heroism and and storytelling and poetry and communicating and passing on history generation to generation. Something different about us that God has given us inside. Think about this. The very fact that we have, a, we have moral feelings like, for instance, guilt and, uh, and obligation and accountability, that all suggests that we know deep in our hearts 
that there is a divine lawgiver and we are accountable to him. And that's not found anywhere else in any form in the animal kingdom. Uh, For instance, think about cats. Cats, as you know, if you have one, are naturally evil. Uh, Think about it. I, I like cats, but cats seem to find pleasure in playing with that mouse before they devour it. Uh, But you never find a cat feeling bad about that later. They don't feel bad about it. Because a cat is not created in the image of God like you are to feel those moral feelings. Uh, A cat doesn't have a conscience like you do. Um, If a bear in the national park mauls a, a hiker... You won't find that bear in the woods later, racked with guilt, saying, oh, what have I done? A a bear doesn't feel guilty for acting according to its nature. But we do as human beings because we are stamped with the image of God. God has imprinted on our hearts his sense of righteousness and truth and, and love. Anthropologists will tell you that in cultures that have never had a Christian missionary, they've never read in a Bible about the one true God, they are found to know innately that it's wrong to take another person's life. It's not like killing an animal for food. It is different, and humans innately know that. It is wrong. They know it is wrong to steal someone else's possessions. It is wrong to abuse a child. Where does that sense of moral judgment come from? Well, uh, Paul states it in Romans 2. Turn to chapter 2, verse 14. In Romans 2, 14, he writes, For when Gentiles who do not have the law, that is those who do not have uh, the, the, uh, the law of God that has been revealed in the Old Testament Scriptures, When Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things of the law, that is they hold to this sense of right and wrong, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts. Written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Where does that come from? Well, God has has stamped his image and his requirements on our hearts. We call it the the conscience that God has given us. Verse 19 uh, of chapter 1, Paul says, What may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. But, But look what happens. We read it in verse 18. At the end of verse 18, we suppress that truth. We suppress that truth. People suppress the truth that God has revealed of himself in a couple of ways. Uh, The first big category we might call atheism. Uh, And this is where God is canceled or ignored. Verse 21 of chapter 1 says, because although they knew God, They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts 
were darkened. So here's what happened. God has revealed himself to us and in us, his existence, his power, his, his nature. But when, uh, when that is not acknowledged and it is suppressed, what, what, what we know about, uh, about God, we, we cancel that idea. According to Romans 1, atheism is driven by a desire to suppress the truth that God has revealed about himself. I know there are people, and you're related to some of them, and you work with some of them, who would say, I am honestly, sincerely an atheist. I, I, uh, or, or I'm an agnostic. I, I, don't, I don't know if you can know. I don't think it's knowable whether there's a God or not. Um, Romans 1 teaches us here that that's driven by a desire to press that down, to suppress that truth that God has revealed. It's like that beach ball that keeps wanting to surface, but we keep pushing it down. Because to acknowledge it means to deal with it. I have to deal with the fact that there is a God and I owe him my worship and I need to surrender my life to him and I have to live by his created order, his law for me. But many suppress that and consequently their heart is darkened. It's like uh, these flat earthers that you hear about or Holocaust deniers who may see the evidence that it's real and yet they refuse to believe to the point that they are unconvincible of the truth. So here's how it works. If we don't like the thought of an all-powerful ruling God, then we suppress that truth and just cancel him. We ignore him, and that light of truth that God has given begins to fade until verse 21 says, the heart is darkened. And meanwhile, we come up with uh, in, in the absence of God, in our darkness, we come up with all kinds of clever ways to explain God away. For everything God has done to be explained by some scientific process, some philosophical gymnastics, until verse 22 happens. Verse 22 says, professing to be wise, they became fools. Faculty buildings on universities all over the world are filled with those who profess to be wise, and yet they are fools. Governments all over the world are filled with those who profess to be wise and come up with all kinds of clever explanations, but in fact, the Bible says they are fools little preview of next week. Next week, we're going to see how God allows us to suffer the consequences of suppressing the truth. And, and so what we end up with may sound wise to the world, but it will, in fact, take us deep into darkness and, and into bizarre and perverted places and deeper and deeper into sin. And, and so We'll look at that next week. It's really going to explain the sexual revolution that is happening in America. Uh, so atheism is one way that we suppress the truth, canceling God. 
But the other way we do it is mentioned here, and that is idolatry, where God is replaced. God is replaced. Uh, There is a God-given emptiness in the human heart that only God can fill. God has, has created in us an unquenchable desire for worship. There is a drive in every human heart to worship. Anthropologists tell us that all people in all places in the world worship. That desire is not something you can just switch off. Uh, Every person looks for something, longs for something to live for, something to hope in, something to thank for the good things that happen. And, And without God, we will just find someone or something to replace him. Verse 23 mentions idols. It says they changed the glory of incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. What, What mankind will do in the absence of God is replace that desire to worship with things they can control. Like in other cultures, uh, little, little idols that they make out of wood or stone or metal. Every time I've been to India, in Delhi, I, I've seen this uh, 40-foot high statue of the monkey god carved out of red sandstone. And it's lit up at night. It's at a temple where they worship the monkey god. In America, we don't have 40-foot high monkey gods standing around. But we have our own idols. Our idols could be a business or money. It could be a sport or some other cause. It could be a romantic partner that we place all of our hope in. Or more often than not, here in America, we just end up replacing God with ourselves. And we worship ourselves, our achievement, our followers and likes, our beauty. However, we may suppress that knowledge of a creating, ruling, sovereign God, whether it's we cancel Him or we replace Him, the result is that we all stand condemned before Him. That's how Paul started the discussion in verse 18 talking about the wrath of God coming down on those who suppress the truth. And uh, and about this point, we, we all end up thinking the same thing, and that is, but what about those who have never heard? Well, Romans 1 tells us that, in fact, everyone has heard. Everybody stands condemned. Nobody is without excuse And so everybody needs Jesus. And lest you think that this sermon is all bad news, let me assure you, it really is good news. Because the whole point Paul is making here is, look, humankind has a problem. And that is we all stand under the condemnation of God because of our sin. We've suppressed the truth. And yet... There is a God who not only is holy and just and 
judges humanity for sin, that same God is loving and merciful and graciously saves mankind. He has provided a way for us to be saved. It takes us back to verse 16 in this chapter where where Paul says, uh, listen, when I come to Rome, I'll tell you up front what I'm going to talk about the gospel of Christ. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God has given us an answer to this problem that we have gotten ourselves into and that is the gospel of Christ. That Jesus came into this world. He laid down his life for us. He went to the cross and took all our sins upon himself. And he paid the penalty for that. So that now if we believe in him. And we place our faith in him. We are saved. And our sin is canceled. And we can be rightly related to God. The gospel of Christ. Here's what this is all about. The gospel of Christ shows us something. About God. That creation could never show us and that is our God is loving and merciful and he he will not stop loving us and pursuing us even when we reject him he still extends his grace and his love to us even when we reject him and all that judgment that we deserve uh, for suppressing the truth and denying him and replacing him You know what God did with that? He poured it out on his son. To the point that Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a great God. What a great God. And, and so we're faced with some decisions, aren't we? What are you going to do if you've been suppressing the truth and you, you can't switch it off in your heart, this knowledge of God? You can't listen to enough podcasts or read enough books to explain Him away. What are you going to do if you've been suppressing the truth? Hey, remember the beach ball? Trust in the Lord. And when that surfaces, if you'll acknowledge, yes, there is a God who is over all things and He loves me and He made a plan for me to be saved, uh, then I'm telling you, there is hope for you and there's salvation for you. And then we're faced with a decision about uh, this fact. If this really is the only answer to humanity's problem, I'm talking about your family members, your co-workers, and people around the world. If that really is the answer, then we we have to continue being, Pastor Craig, a going church, an ascending church, there's just, there's just no other option. Like Paul, who had to go to Rome. Uh, we have to have that attitude, I have to go to my loved ones. I have to go to my coworkers. I have to go to my neighborhood and, and 
as far around the world as God will let me go with this message because this is the only answer to humanity's problems. And even as we've sent out these groups this week or sending them out all week long to Denver and Rio and, and Alaska and, and Memphis, uh, we have to realize we all have a mission too this week right here uh, to get that message to everyone who needs to hear it. All right, let's stand together. And uh, I want us to just uh, pray about it and have a time to respond, okay? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I, I just pray that if there's anyone here who finds themselves lost in their sin, suppressing the truth, oh God, I pray for a breakthrough for them this morning. That even right now as we're praying, that they would just acknowledge who you are and call on Jesus for salvation right now. We pray, God, that, that you would save those who are lost. And Lord, for those of us who have already responded in faith and we've been saved, Lord, will you give us a holy boldness to share this hope with others? God, light a fire in our hearts to be a witness for the truth. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.